last week on the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete. This isn't Peter Frampton, is it? <laughs> it's not. Paul McCartney put out a live record, I don't know, 20 years ago. And he, re- he switched it all and did McCartney and Lennon. Oh. And um, Yoko Ono had a conniption fit. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. again and welcome to the 70s weekly countdown with mark and pete a show where two friends review a randomly chosen american top 40 episode from the 1970s the most interesting decade in pop music my name is mark rovac and with me is my friend and co-host peter gardo hello peter what's happening hi mark well it's a beautiful beautiful late summer day out there and uh I got a message from my daughter. She told me the queen died. Uh, Did you hear about that? I, I saw a clip on the news saying that doctors were attending to her. But uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't circle back. So uh, yeah. Not our queen, but it's she's been around a long time. And yeah, good long life. But yeah, that's like uh, it's a lot of people in England that have never known another monarch. So uh, but did you get through the rain? OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hope the uh, reservoirs are all filled up now. <laughs> they said some towns went from having like a deficit to having a two-inch surplus of rain in terms of the average after well, after that. Well, down down near the border, near where the uh, illegal firewood sign is, um, <laughs> I heard they got like seven seven or eight inches of rain down near Rhode Island. But uh, we got about four inches here. I, I added up the two days. So a little over four. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, of the personal weather station. You used to have a personal weather station. I, I do. I, I think the, the last time it's, it's been probably over a year. The last time I drove by my old house, it was still up there. Uh, I left it behind. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they look at that and say, goddamn guy left crap. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also had an, an aerial TV antenna that I had uh, put up too. But anyhow, so that's, that's good. Uh, your golf game getting any better? Yeah. Yeah, I actually went to the driving range today and, and hit a few balls. So, Oh, and I did last uh, weekend before the rain. I did finally cut the lawn after 63 days. 63 days, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got the spreadsheet right here. I'll share it with you. So I have this mo, mo.xls. <laughs> 63 days for the, for the side yard north of the driveway. Front yard, 65 days. The, the rear that I done... 35 days ago, the way back, 65 days ago, and around the house, six days, but I did that one 59 days prior. So, uh, so I think all the, all the hurricanes that are, have just started up, started because, you know, I just increased my global warming allowance. Yeah. But I tell you, you know, for me to cut the lawn, it, you know, it's about an acre and, you know, I, I have it cut up in those sections that I was just telling you about. And, it, it's it's a time commitment yeah yeah for sure 
All right. So uh, yeah, Pete and I have been friends for uh, 30 plus years. It doesn't surprise me that he keeps track of his lawn cutting in a spreadsheet. <laughs> but uh, we met in college and then ended up working together for a long time. <laughs> so in, in each of these episodes, we'll review all 40 songs in the Chosen Weeks Countdown and provide some factual information on each song, as well as our personal opinions, stories, and comments related to it. At the end of the episode, we'll provide our individual choices for the best and worst song, a song that we think will torture the other guy that we've labeled the agonizer. And we will give our individual A plus through F grade for the entire countdown. Since nobody has the exact same taste in music, our opinions on individual songs may be controversial, but we otherwise intend to keep the conversation light, humorous, and hopefully entertaining. Remember, this is just a discussion, not a competition, so please, no wagering. All right, so today is episode 19 of the 70s Loop Good Countdown with Mark and Pete, the American Top 40 from the week ending September 14th, 1974. And the title of this particular episode is, You're Having My Ear Ache My Eye, But I Like It, Baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, well done. <laughs> with with the, the parentheses around the your and but i like it okay i'll make sure i get that right baby yeah <laughs> so what were you doing around the middle of september 1974 well it was the second weekend of the month labor day was the second which was uh you know almost two weeks ago um and uh i had just started the fourth grade and uh, but looking at my father's date book it says here on the 14th of September, 1974, survey football field, 10 a.m., Dick Emmons. My father was a, uh, amongst being a PhD and a professor and a guy that liked to travel, he was also a professional land surveyor. And he was the one that was with that state job where he, uh, appointed by Governor Meskel, was the one who would uh, do the testing for land surveyors at, at back in the day. And I remember this because I was there. So my father got out his transom and his uh, plumb bob and all the other stuff and surveyed the football field over at Memorial Park uh, in the town I grew up in. And what I don't remember here was that Dick Emmons was part of it. Now, you remember Dick Emmons from work, don't you? Mm. An old, old guy. Mm, Worked man. with my father back there, back in the 50s and 60s. Wow. And, he, and, and I last saw him. He was still coming into the plant before the COVID. Or maybe even during the COVID, you know, oh. early COVID. Oh, really? Dick Emmons. Dick Emmons. Where, where did he work? Uh, he worked all over the place. He was he was part of service. Okay. He, he also writes letters to the editor in the paper. <laughs> I see oh. his name once in a while, like our friend Steve Fisher. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So um, so was your father like doing a evaluation at the field, or was it was they actually were they actually surveying? Well, I, it, it might have been a new field that they were setting up. Now it's kind of late September, you know. You know how these these sports leagues are nowadays. They, you know, they 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 play after dark and they play in the with snow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, when am I going to get my football field? So I don't know if it was a new field or it was you know validating where the posts were in the ground or or, or what have you. Hmm. So, but it was over at I, I remember exactly where where it was because I was there and I didn't know what I was doing. I was nine years old so mm. you know, maybe my father said you hold a nail but there's and then there's a lot of other other stuff what what were you up to you must have been starting the uh 
fifth grade. Starting the fifth grade, and I um, you know, I'll get into some stuff uh, as usual when we get into the pop culture because I remember some things. But I I remember I had uh, I think it was Miss Jackson as a teacher in the fifth grade, and I just remember a particular incident. I don't think it happened necessarily in September, but just um, at some point she. I don't think I volunteered. I think she just picked two kids to go out and bring like her books to the car at the end of the day or something. And we went out and we couldn't open the car. And then the key snapped in half. And so we went back in and told her and she was like really ticked off and kind of took it out on us. And it's like, it's like no, you know, I didn't plan for this to happen. Like it didn't cause it. I think wow. she, I think she hated children. So I, I don't know. That's good for a school teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It was a different time back then too. You know, um, you know, uh, we yeah. we know people that are school teachers, and sometimes they say, "Oh, my kids, they're not your kids. Yeah, <laughs> they're students." <laughs> So, uh, uh, what, what a racket. Yeah. Anyhow. So, uh, but you survived, huh? Yeah. Have you yeah. ever broken a key in a, in a lock since then? Um, and who was the, who was the other person? I, I don't, I don't remember. It I, I wasn't Andre, was it? Oh no, no. I didn't go to grammar school with him. Yeah. I don't remember. I seem to remember the other person taken off though. Like it was like the end of the day too, or something, you know? And one of us, you know, was supposed to bring the key back to her or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> and you brought back half a key. Yeah. 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 What's that song? Don't take me half the way. <laughs> Have we done that song yet? Uh, I, I don't think so. think so, no. Uh, well, anyhow, so uh, anything in the headlines uh, around this time in uh, early to mid-September 1974? Just a few things uh, more early September but uh, on September 7th I, I mentioned this before but that was the night Rory Gallagher blew Aerosmith off the stage and, and I'll link to an article but it was it's basically that, that was the one at the Schaefer thing on the, the uh, in New York City on the island yeah yeah uh, Roosevelt Island or wherever that it was yeah, yeah. They, you know there was there was issues with the curfew and they wanted Rory to do a, an encore and they were brushing them off the stage because they said, well, Aerosmith has got to play and they're going to, their set is going to be reduced. And I guess the crowd got pretty ticked and they threw bottles and things at Aerosmith as they were coming on stage. Well, I told you my, my bottle and story from when I saw Aerosmith up at the Springfield Civic Center in 1989, didn't I? No, I don't think you did. So I think it was, I think it was December of 89, right after Christmas, it was at the Springfield Civic Center. Sebastian Bach, what was what was he the lead singer for? Uh, ah, Bach. The uh, Skibro, I, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, uh, I whatever, whatever. Look it up while I tell the story. So what happened was, uh, it was one of these um, festival seatings inside the Civic Center. The Civic Center holds about six thousand people up there, if I remember. And during during the first show, someone threw a bottle up on the stage, and and Sebastian Bach threw it back in the crowd, and and. It, uh, cut open this girl's face ah, Bach. and Sebastian Bach got uh, uh, arrested and thrown in the clink ah, Bach. and it's it's one of the it's on it's on the list of like one of the top 10 things that that makes Springfield one of the worst cities in the in the country to go into all right there, there's this list I found at some point in time <laughs> when I was trying to research this so 
So yeah. I didn't see that. I was I was at a bar with Jaime and Jack and Adam and other people. And so then we go in there and and there's still bottles going around. Aerosmith's playing, you know, and, and it's after, I guess it was Pump. So they did the Done With Mirrors tour. That's when they first came back. And it was it was middling. And um, and then they think they did Pump. And then I think they did Get a Grip. I forget which one. It was, but it was right after Done With Mirrors, whatever that one was. And so someone threw a bottle on the stage at the band, Stephen Tyler. Stephen Tyler stopped the stopped the show. Yeah. And he says, the next one of you MFs that throws a bottle up here on the stage, I'm going to come, I'm going to jump off the stage and come down and blank your old lady right in front of you. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. So I, it's a family show, so I couldn't. <laughs> so, so I imagine there's a story about that that I could find online that I'll I'll post oh, in yeah, the show notes yeah. too. So, uh, oh, abs- abs- absolutely. So, uh, boy, so maybe Aerosmith had a habit of getting uh, bottles thrown at them. <laughs> well, you know, it was what uh, 15 years later. Yeah. Skid Row was Sebastian. Yeah, yeah I, I looked it up. Ah, fuck. I think once you've said that, you've said it all. So I did have it right, didn't I? Didn't I you say did. Skid Row? Yeah, you did have it right. Holy yeah. crap. Yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. So, yeah, so that was on September 7th. And then, uh, you know, if you woke up after the concert uh, the next day, you would come to find out uh, U.S. President Gerald Ford pardoned uh, former President Richard Nixon of all federal crimes, which was a, a big story. Suck it to me. Uh, oh, you know, that's for sure. That's. 48 years ago today because we're recording on the 8th yeah yeah wow i i know for me and probably for you the bigger news was oh, without a doubt was also on september 8th evil knievel attempted to jump the snake river canyon in idaho but uh he failed that but he escaped with uh just minor injuries it was the the sky cycle remember yeah <laughs> it's gonna it was jump a rocket in. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but the next the next thing like that was when they opened up Al, Cap- Al Capone's vault in the basement. Remember Geraldo Rivera? Oh yeah, in like early late eighties, early nineties. And I watched that whole thing too. Oh look, we found another bottle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was it thrown at Steven Tyler? I mean, <laughs> so any 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 tech besides the sky cycle? The only thing I found was uh, in in I guess aerospace uh, on September first, the SR seventy one Blackbird set the record for flying from New York to London in the fastest time, one hour and 54 minutes and 56.4 seconds. And believe that still stands today. Hasn't been done faster, so. Anything in the economy? The unemployment rate was uh, 4.9% and inflation rate was 13.9%. So Jerry Ford would have just been president for a month in a couple of days by now. Right. Did, was was he doing uh the, inflation now or was that later? I think that started uh started later. Okay. The, yeah, it, uh, probably in 75, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I just sort of did a calculation too that I, I'll add in here that um today's dollar was 17 cents back then to, to kind of give you an idea of uh I've got for a gallon of regular gas 53 cents, which would be a uh, 319 today. So do you have any uh, real-time data on that? Absolutely. So on the 11th of September, the VW Squareback was filled up with 10 gallons of gas for $5.61 for 56 cents a gallon. 
and that vehicle got 27.38 miles per gallon. And the Volkswagen bus, 11.3 gallons, was uh, bought for $6.40, and lo and behold, 56 cents a gallon. And that was getting 20 gallon, uh, 20.1 uh, miles per gallon. That was bought on the 13th, the day before this uh, this episode of American Top 40. So the gasoline was purchased on a Friday, Friday the 13th. Whoa! <laughs> and uh, I just noticed that. And the 11th was a Wednesday. That's interesting. So I was going to add a quick thing. I, I, I sent you this yesterday, but uh, in the last episode, I talked about the Social Security as a database of popular names for, for babies from every That's year. Right. And you can look up your own name and stuff. So um, so the most popular male name in 1974 was Michael. And the most popular female name was Jennifer. And in, in that year, the name Peter was 50th most popular, and Mark was 16th. So Mark was still fairly popular. Peter was falling off a little bit. Uh, Peter was most popular in 1955, and, and Mark was most popular in 1964. Not that they were the top names, but that's the year that they, the they most peaked. babies were yeah, yeah. And, named that. And so. Isn't that your year? It is my year. Yeah. 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 And I told you that story. So your folks were really imaginative. Yeah. Well, the, the story is my mother was going to name me Paul, but oh, then she's like, oh, that's one of the Beatles. I, I don't like them. So okay. she, <laughs> thank God I would have been you know, tagged with that. Mary had a little. <laughs> hey, anything on uh, on TV this uh, the day before on uh, Friday the 13th? Pick this Friday the 13th because this is a seminal moment in television because I remember my brother talked about this. And he said, you know, there was a time in the mid 70s, wasn't that long of a time, but there was a time when you could actually watch Kolshak, Kojak and Kodiak on TV. <laughs> so Kodiak was on ABC at 8 p.m. And, and this was also the premieres of these shows. The new the new season came out. New fall season. Do they even have seasons now? I don't, you know, I don't even know. Good question. I mean, I don't watch much network TV, so... Don't, don't my, my friend david was was grousing last saturday morning yeah there's nothing on tv they're moving everything to these these pay things there's nothing on i says says dave just watch kojak and, and frazier and hawaii yeah. 50 manix manix yeah. that stuff yeah. is awesome yeah or kodiak i never i never watched kodiak so. i i never did either uh but uh it did yeah it didn't last too long but it was first episode and it was uh entitled red snow white death <laughs> so that was a half hour show yeah, on yeah abc yeah and then that was followed by the six million dollar man season two episode one nuclear alert which is the, it has the stupidest premise ever yeah oh my god <laughs> when they get on that airplane yeah all right and i'll sell to the highest bidder yeah. And and they and they just go through like the guy from Asia and the Arab and the <laughs> Eastern European guy and whatever. Yeah. And the last one wins. It's like, no, if you bid, you keep on bidding. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a stupid, you know, it's an awesome episode. Yeah. Stupid. Very interesting, but stupid. Uh, at 9.30, it was a show called The Texas Wheelers. It was obviously a show that took place in Texas. And uh, the uh, title of it is Waylon Wheeler is Dead. And I guess he was supposed to be the patriarch of the family. And this was also a premiere. And Mark Hamill played 
Doobie Wheeler, one of the brothers. And this was also a short-lived show. And then... Season one, episode one. Yeah. I never saw it. Yeah. Yep. And then at 10 p.m. Uh, was Cole Shack, the Night Stalker. And this Season was, one, episode one also. Yeah, yeah. The, the Ripper. It's interesting. I was watching a, a Mannix the other night, and they had Darren McGavin, who was the star of Cole Shack, on Mannix. And he played this, like, creepy old war acquaintance or buddy of Mannix's from the Korean War. And there's a trope on Mannix where all the, all his old war buddies are trying to kill him. <laughs> like whenever one shows up and he played it, he was really creepy. He played it real well. So, well, wasn't he the first Oscar Goldman in the Six a, Million Dollar Man movies also? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Richard Anderson is great as Oscar Goldman. Yeah, you know? yeah. What a great actor he is yeah. or was. That was uh, ABC. And then yeah. on, on CBS, you had the Planet of the Apes series. And that was also season one, episode one. And it was uh, Escape from Tomorrow. I do remember watching that. And that, you know, that had a trope, another trope that my brother always talked about, where it's like, that was one that you had to have one blonde guy and one dark haired guy. You know, that you had Emergency, you had this show, oh, yeah. you had Starsky and Hutch, so you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on and on. And then I thought Roddy McDowell. Was, was, was Roddy McDowell in, in the TV I think series? he was in the TV series, uh, he's, yeah. He's, he's just the all-time TV actor, entertainer. Yeah, yeah. Could he sing and dance like Sammy Davis Jr., though? And I don't know. I never saw him sing and dance. Yeah. And then at uh, 9 p.m., we had the movie M.A.S.H., that was from 1970. And of course, that sparked the TV series MASH, but a totally different set of actors. I think no, Radar, Radar was, was in it, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Ah, fuck. Yeah. So had, in last Sunday's paper in Parade Magazine, they had a whole thing. You know, Parade Magazine is about eight pages long now um, about MASH. Okay. And it's 50th year because it came out 50 years ago this this week. And then they also had a, a interview with Alan Alda. Uh-huh. So tomorrow's recycling day. So say bye bye. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, so over on NBC we had uh, at eight Sanford and Son the surprise party that was season four episode one. You big That's, dummy. That was an established show. But then at eight thirty Chico and the Man's pilot was on. Uh, season one episode one uh, i was, was probably watching those two shows that night mm-hmm. okay yeah so freddie prince and and jack albertson right yeah yeah and then uh, at nine you had the rockford files and that was Whee! also the premiere yep. season one episode one the kirkoff case was the name of it at 10 p.m you had police woman uh, and the title of that was The End, which is kind of funny because it's the beginning. So looking at this whole thing, no, it's kind of interesting. NBC was the winner in terms of like shows that kept going. Kodiak, The Texas Wheelers, and Shack didn't make it. The Six right. Mill was already in his second season. And then The Planet of the Apes didn't make it either. So yeah. I heard that was really expensive to, to produce. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think I was watching on the rerun channel uh, a policewoman and I took photographs of it. I'm like, holy crap, that doorbell that's right. on the wall is the same doorbell in my house. 
That's right. You did send that to me. <laughs> I was, like, I, was wow. I was trying to think of what you you did mention that, and it was like, what was it? It's like, oh yeah, the, the picture. I forget what the episode was, but I'm you know I'm backing it up because it's on the DVR machine, or I didn't record it, but but you can you know go backwards if you have it in the right mode. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> And I forget who's isn't isn't uh, Angie Dickinson still with us? She's got to be in her mid eighties. Yeah, yeah. When she showed up at the Dean Martin celebrity roasts, it was always a good thing because yeah. she was on NBC, of course. So, anything at the Rialto Theater? You know, there there was a, not a lot released. Uh, actually, nothing that I recognized in September this year. So I went back to August thirtieth and um, the Longest Yard with uh, Burt Reynolds and Eddie Albert, and they remade that. Some some years Eddie later. Albert from Green Acres. Yeah, and then um, on October second, the taking of Pelham one two three with Walter Matthau and Robert Shaw. Did you ever see that one? No, That's I a, haven't seen the Longest Yard either. Yeah, I haven't seen the new Longest Yard with The Rock. So Is they the Rock in there. Yeah, and they they redid the taking of Pelham one two three as well with Denzel Washington, but mm. uh, and and it wasn't very good. The, the originals of these two movies uh, were, were good. And The Taking of Pelham, I'd recommend that. Walter Matthau is is, is great. And, and so is Robert Shaw. It's, uh, was it's really Robert good. Shaw in um, Jaws? Jaws. Yeah, yeah, he was Clinton Jaws. And also uh, Black Sunday and uh, The Battle of the Bulge and The Sting. So, okay. yeah. Well, our data sources, uh, <clears throat> in order to provide information on some of the songs and artists we comment on in the countdown, the podcast relies on the following sources. Billboard Magazine, where the charts come from and is what the countdown is based. The websites, allmusic.com, songfacts.com, and wikipedia.com. The books, Ranking the 70s by Dan Isabel and Bill Carroll. And lastly, American Top 40 with Casey Case in the, the 70s by Pete Battistini. All right. As Casey would say, now on with the countdown. So this is uh, Do It Baby by The Miracles. But um, Casey said this is the their first top 40 hit since Smokey Robinson left in 1972. Billy Griffin took over Robinson's lead position in 1973. The song has uh, some nice cowbell in it. <laughs> it was uh, written by Motown staff songwriters Freddie Perrin and uh, Christine Yarlin and produced by Perrin. The production of this was kind of far uh, a departure from the group's earliest sounds as they embraced a little bit of a funkier style. Yeah, this one got to number 13. Yeah, well, I didn't, I did not remember it. Yeah, I didn't either, actually. It's kind of funny, though. It sounds like Smokey Robinson. Not exactly, but, you know, he was a good replacement, this guy. So this is post uh, tapestry. That's not a, this song's not a tapestry, is it? No. Yeah. yeah. So this is, of course, Carol King, jazz man, 
This was, yeah, Carole King's biggest hit after Tapestry. She wrote the music and the lyrics were written by uh, David Palmer, who was a vocalist on some early Steely Dan songs, including Dirty Work. Yeah. Uh, Here in the Western world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tom Scott played the role of the Jasmine. That's him on the saxophone. He's a- Tom Scott. Yep. Man with first two names. Yeah. <laughs> He's a prolific player who's worked as a solo artist and performed with the Blues Brothers, appeared on the song Terminal Frost. And so this one got to number two. This was a big song. I remember um, when this came back into the psyche in the late 80s or early 90s, early Simpsons. New Simpsons, the last 25 years is <laughs> garbage, but. Uh, um, but Lisa starts playing the uh, uh, the saxophone because Bleeding Gums, what's his name, comes back from the dead and says, you know, you got to go play the saxophone. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know if you remember that episode. I think I do, actually. Yeah. I always think of this song every time I... Uh near where my brother lives there's a gas station and it's it's the gas man gas station so i always <laughs> want to sing this song oh gas man. <laughs> anyway So uh, this is a repeat from our uh, June 29th, 1974 episode, episode nine. This is uh, One Hell of a Woman by Mac Davis. And um, back in, in that previous epo- episode, it was at number 18 and it had peaked. No, it wasn't. At- it wasn't? No, it was at number 18 with Fake Casey. It was number 15 with Real. Oh, uh, well, you know. Real Billboard. <laughs> So I went to look at this one. So we only have two repeats from episode number nine from June 29th, 1974. And and the number you gave was the guest by the American Top 40 staff at Watermark Production. Which is the one we went by, right? Which is the one we went by. Because yeah, so don't crap it. on me. <laughs> You're like, no, it isn't. <laughs> well, it, 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 it... Colleagues. Colleagues laughing behind my back at the boy wonder. It was so confusing. I'm like, whoa, oh, yeah. where is this? Yeah, that I I forgot about that and I went and looked back at that spreadsheet and I'm like, what the hell was going on here? <laughs> so it did peak at number eleven uh at some point. <laughs> but uh what well, wasn't that weekend? So eighteen fifty, no. whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, so our friend Mac and uh, the Mac Davis show and our friend Jim Jim S likes uh said, who is that guy? So Yeah, yeah, we talked about that before. So yeah, unfortunately Mac is uh, no longer with us. He passed away uh in September of twenty twenty at the age of seventy-eight. You should just play my rant from last. <laughs> yes. 
So this is this is sideshow by Blue Magic, which was uh, was it another repeat? I'm afraid I yes, get yelled it at. It was number twenty in the real <laughs> and number twenty six in the fake. Yeah. So this one went to number. Of course it was because we talked about this ten weeks ago. Yeah. Eleven. And uh, so Pete and Pete went on a rant about how you know anything about carnivals or, or uh, circuses is like awful and. You know what? I gotta agree because, like two nights ago, there was an episode of Manix, and and it took place at a carnival, and it was the typical tropes. You know, oh, there's all these different people: the knife thrower, the magician, and who's the bad guy. It, it, it is the same old thing. The only thing that was cool was uh, Manix got into a fight with uh, one of the guys. I think it was the magician, and he got thrown into the roundup. You know what that is? The thing that goes around with the centrifugal force and pushes you against the wall. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they didn't show how he got out of it, but then they just came back and he's putting ice on his head and he goes, people actually pay to ride that thing? <laughs> so, but I got—I think I'm starting to agree with you, Pete. You're, you're influencing me. Yeah, circuses. Well, the, the thing is, I think when you sent me that, I was watching Kojak and it was boxing. Okay, yeah. and that's another trope that they always have in in um, in TV shows. You know, the six million dollar man. He he did boxing. Well, it was was well George Foreman was on an episode. He was pretty good. Yeah. But there's there's other. You know, I I know that Murder She Wrote had a whole bunch of. And I think that who's who was Archie Bunker's friend? Wasn't it Martin Balsam? He yeah. was always the the. He was on the the. Murder she wrote as the, the leader of the circus. Ah, okay. Yeah, he yeah. it's funny, he was in taking of Pelham one, two, three. But uh, and yeah, there was a Mannix episode about boxing like the night after the circus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, all right. <laughs> come to Boston for the springtime. I'm staying here with some friends and they've got lots of room and you can sell your paintings on the side so this is uh please come to boston by dave loggins and we talked second cousin of kenny loggins we yeah. talked about this two weeks two or three weeks ago yeah yeah, yeah. so this song uh spent two weeks at number five on the on the top 40 chart and uh casey talked about his, his brother yeah brother too right yeah well he had a secret benefit factor dan loggins who was the brother of kenny loggins and dan okay, loggins was the head of a and r for uh columbia records in london and he, he saw dave loggins in london and um you put in a good word for him back with uh, Columbia in the U.S., and this resulted in Dave Loggins getting a recording contract. And then I guess you, they exchanged letters, but had never met in person. And then they, they had discussed the possibility of being related. And then I guess Dan hired a, a private investigator. Maybe it was Mannix. I don't know. To figure out if they were related and it turns out yeah they're second cousins and yeah in the previous episode we talked about dave loggins uh most famous composition being augusta which he wrote in 1981 that's used for the cbs masters golf coverage is it still used 
Uh, it is, yeah. I did, okay, I did look that up. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Dave is still with us. He's uh, 74. So um, with that, uh, you get signed to Columbia, but this is from Epic mm. Records, which, whatever. This is Don't Change Horses in the Middle of a Stream by Tower of Power. And uh, this peaked at, <laughs> at 26 uh, a week ago from this countdown. And from the album Back to Oakland. And this uh, that album was voted by Modern Drummer Magazine as one of the most important recordings for drummers to listen to. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is a good song. Um, it's got the funk and it's got those Tower of Power horns. So they were, uh, of course, out of Oakland, California, and um, they had been performing since 1968 at this point. They had a few different lead vocalists, the best known being Lenny Williams, who fronted the band between 73 and late 74. And um, that was the period of their greatest commercial success. They had eight songs on the Billboard Hot uh, 100. Their highest charting songs included You're Still a Young Man, So Very Hard to Go, what is hip and and this one right here? I don't remember this one. I do remember this one. Yeah. So this it's, is it's not a repeat from our last countdown. Okay. But we did not do this song before. No, I think we did something else by the Wet Willie. Okay. So I was driving home from work. I went into the plant today, and. Um, and I heard this song on Deep Tracks on my way home. Really? You can you, you see right here. Do you see my screen? Uh, yes, I do. XMPlaylist.com slash stations slash Deep Tracks. And it tells you <clears throat> when songs were played on Deep Tracks. Huh? Okay, so that was at uh, right here. One hour ago at 429. A little off. Okay. okay. So, but it's about right. I heard it around 430 in the afternoon. Keep on smiling. And... And then I had to turn it off because Disco Strangler was on two songs after that, after Manassas. You see that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and they love Joe Walsh. They yeah. Joe Walsh all the time. Yeah. So. So this one, um, yeah, this is Keep On Smiling by Wet Willie. It, it peaked at number 10, three weeks before this countdown. And um, uh, now, this is why I was confused, because I had written down this was Wet Willie's only hit. Um, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at my paper, if you're looking on Channel 18. Okay. All right, I didn't find it. Okay, we didn't have Wet Willie at all, or was there a different song? We didn't have Wet Willie at all. We had the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. Okay. Oh, sh shoot, you're right. It was number 40. <laughs> okay. It was number 40 on the fake chart. Yeah. It wasn't on the real chart. I swear. Okay. It was not on the real chart. Okay. I go by the real chart, not the fake chart. It wasn't farther up? No. No? Okay. But we did talk about it, maybe. So. 
I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yes, you're right. It was so. What I what I did is I did the real chart. Yeah. Two repeats from the real chart. I did not look at the fake chart. Okay. We're uh, we're we're getting off to a good start. <laughs> <laughs> Should I go back upstairs and yeah. my wife asked me, "You're done already?" <laughs> <laughs> we were done before we started. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll get back. So on the last song, the host Earl Bailey said, this is, there's some psychological thing that if you say something, you do it. And he says, like, keep on smiling. Uh, and I was stuck in traffic right near the dump. Okay. And actually <laughs> I felt a smile come to my face. So, you know, when, uh, when, uh, when someone says, turn that frown upside down, you know, uh, maybe when, you do it. Or maybe you just say, screw you. Yeah. So when you're talking dump, is that Garbage Mountain? Yeah, M yeah. Mount Trashmore. Yeah, okay. Anyway, this is a Skin Tight by the Ohio Players off the album Skin Tight in uh, 1974. This one went to number 13, and um, Casey talked about the Ohio Players being from Dayton, Ohio, and they had a hit about a year ago with Funky Worm, which I think yeah. we had that yeah, before. Yeah. Um, I thought I think that was the worst of the countdown when I, I yeah yeah that that was a that was a tough one I didn't like that one too much but uh, but uh, this one is the title track off their fifth studio album and it marked a shift towards a kind of jazzier style of funk that helped propel the band more into the mainstream and that was their first million selling album the um, Skin Tight and. Uh, a feat they repeated with their subsequent album, Fire. And uh, the Ohio players earned a reputation for their kinky album covers. I'll put a link to this one in uh, the show notes, but it was, uh, you know, I guess it had a, a, a woman on it and I won't go into the details, but you can go look at it if you want. <laughs> Number 32. Hey, mister, boy, you going in such a hurry? You know, the last song, Skin Tight by the Ohio Players, I didn't remember that at all. It was not anywhere. Yeah, yeah, me neither. And, and this one here, it's, I think it's a cover. Yeah, I, uh... But I don't remember this one either. I, I, I know the other song by this artist that we heard at um, number 38 this week. Yeah, so this is uh, Mac Davis again with a Stop and Smell the Roses. And I didn't write down too much info or any info on the song because I, Casey talked about the whole thing where Mac Davis met Elvis's manager, Colonel Tom Colonel Parker. Tom Parker yeah. This was because Mac Davis had written a song for the for an Elvis film and they, they were on the set and uh, Parker called Mac Davis over and he said, hey, you're a pretty good looking boy. Do you want to be a star? And Mac Davis kind of said, nah, I just want to write songs. I'm not really a singer. And But I guess the rest of Elvis's Memphis Mafia said, yeah, you go along with what the Colonel tells you. 
And I guess Colonel Parker rubbed Davis's head and said, you're going to be a star, son. Just tell everybody that the Colonel rubbed your head for luck. And, uh, That's right. So, so Pete, did the captain ever rub your head for luck? No. Okay. <laughs> Remember, so this, the captain was not a Colonel. Yeah. <laughs> so this one got to number nine. And uh, it was written by Mac Davis and noted band leader uh, and trumpeter, Doc Severinsen. Would we find this song if we did our boogie lookup? <laughs> yeah, probably. So this is Stepping Out, parentheses, Gonna Boogie Tonight by Tony Orlando and Dawn from Dawn's new Ragtime Follies. Now, I, I got confused because I thought this one was also on the previous countdown, but it wasn't. It was just that another song from the album was, which was, uh, say, has anybody seen My Sweet Gypsy Rose? But uh, this one got to number seven, and it was written by Erwin Levine and L. Russell Brown. Did we talk about Tony Orlando's real name? It's uh, Michael Anthony Orlando Cassavitis. I think we might have. Yeah. yeah. And do you remember the uh, names of Dawn? Thelma and Houston. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Thelma Hopkins and Joyce Vincent Wilson. Okay. Well, I don't see Dawn or Tony Lando and Dawn, you know, with that record from 1974. Yeah, know, it was in the fake countdown or the real countdown. It, it was in 1973. It peaked at number three. So yeah, they so, must have so released my Sweet Gypsy Rose. So, yeah, boy, yeah. that's unusual because they used to crank records out then. You know, it's not like nowadays where you put a record out and they they milk it for, you know, two years. Yeah, I think they just decided to release another single off the album. Maybe the, uh, uh, was their TV show still going at this time? Maybe they- Probably uh, maybe just started. Yeah. It's, it's in the wheelhouse right about that. Name of this song is The Wildwood Flower. Now The Wildwood Flower is an old country classic. It's gained a whole new popularity. The song isn't any more popular, but the flower... Well, this gentleman had a TV show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is uh, Jim Stafford. And uh, this is Wildwood Weed. And uh, this is actually a song from 1964. It's a country-western parody song written by Don Bowman. It's a song is a story about farmers, two brothers who take a sudden interest in a common wild flower on their farm and discover after one of them begins chewing on a piece that it's a hallucinogenic mind altering type of uh, growth <laughs> so they begin cultivating it but then the federal agents raid the farm despite this song's popularity some am radio stations banned it because of its references to marijuana but uh it peaked at number seven and uh the end of the song, it ends with the same line as the Beverly Hillbillies. Y'all come, come back, back now, you yeah. hear? Yeah. yeah, here, is that a, like a Jewish harp right here in the back? Doing, doing? Yeah, I think so. She was crying And I 
So Jim Stafford in the previous song was number 28 with My Girl Bill uh, in our, our previous countdown episode number nine. And for some reason, this that Wildwood Weed rang a bell, but we didn't do that one before, did we? No, we haven't. Okay. I'm, I'm starting to lose it, I think. <laughs> so uh, this is uh, I Love My Friend by Charlie Rich. Um, this was written by Billy Sherrill and Nora Wilson. Peaked at number 24 and number one on the country chart. And Casey talked about uh, Charlie Rich being born on a cotton plantation, being exposed to white gospel music, soulful blues of the black field hands, and country sounds of the Grand Old Opry. And he kind of melded those together for his uh, his style, and also including some uh, Stan Kenton style jazz. And, and yeah, Casey said he's now making it on both the pop and country charts. Well, he's another gentleman with two first names. Yes. <laughs> and I don't remember the song. And, and it's funny, I, I worked with a guy down in the other plant that was, his last name was Rich, and he had two first names. <laughs> so what was his first name? George. This song I do remember just because of listening to the 70s channel on XM radio for the last 20 years. Ah, uh, they do play this one? Yes. So, so this is a little, You Little Trust Maker by The Times. With a uh, Y. Yeah, T-Y-M-E-S, off the album Trust Maker. This one got to number 12, their only top 40 hit in the 70s, but they hit number one in the UK with Ms. Grace in 1974. And they had a number three R&B hit in the US in 1976 with It's Cool. Do you remember this song? Um, yeah, sort of familiar. They were an American soul vocal group who enjoyed equal success in the uh, United Kingdom as well as in the, the US. They're one of the few acts that have all, one and only one chart topper in both the US and the UK with different songs. They had four top 40 hits in the 60s with uh, So Much In Love going to number one in 1963 and Wonderful Wonderful going to number seven in that same year. Is that the Wonderful Wonderful by, uh, what's his name? Wonderful Wonderful. Um, what the heck's that guy? The guy that sings off key according to my band director. Oh, uh, Johnny Mathis? Johnny Mathis. Uh, or is it Wonderful, Wonderful from from, from Lawrence Welk? Um, <laughs> no, I think it's probably the Johnny Mathis. So uh, there they said it, uh, Never My Love. This is by Blue Suede. And um, this was- Weed. Weed, yeah. <laughs> this was uh, originally done by the Association in 1969, excuse me, 67, where it got to number two. And then the Fifth Dimension did a live recording of it. And that peaked in the US at number 12 in 1971. 
with our friends uh, Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. Yeah, yeah. And so these guys were a Swedish rock band fronted by. No, there was there was there were a Swedish. <laughs> fronted by Bjorn Skiffs. <laughs> Bjorn. And they were. <laughs> Bjorn. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you went to the city school. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, these guys released two albums of cover versions, including a rendition of Hooked on a Feeling, which brought them international chart success as a number one pop hit in the U.S. Uh, they disbanded after Bjorn decided to embark on his solo career. He's still with us. He's 75. And he's, I'm so- wow, he's that young. Yeah, and I'm sorry I mispronounced his name. <laughs> And the band's name. <laughs> Number 26. Whatever I want and baby, I want you. Yeah, so this is uh, Can't Get Enough by Bad Company. Apparently Pete has had enough. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, this one got to number five, and, uh, and, and I won't torture Pete anymore. <laughs> yeah, everyone's heard this one. <laughs> yeah, this this one you'll still hear on on the classic rock radio. It's it's it's. So uh, this is Wild Thing by Fancy. And uh, this was written by a songwriter named Chip Taylor. And he made tons of money off it because it's been recorded by many artists and it's constantly being used in movies and TV shows. Um, It was originally made a hit by the British band The Trogs in 1966. There's been many cover versions of the song. This version made it to number 14. Jimi Hendrix Experience gave a dramatic performance of this song at the Monterey Pop Festival in 1967. And also in 1967, the novelty uh, comedian Bill Minken did a version of his imitation of Bobby Kennedy singing it and they put it on an album. It's uh, in in kind of a verbal style of Bobby Kennedy. And this one was kind of described as a deeply lascivious version of the song. So this band, Fancy, was made up of a bunch of session musicians and and produced by Mike Hurst. They also had another US hit with Touch Me peaking at number 19. So this, this LP, Fancy, Wild Thing, was uh, was uh, featured in episode 96 of the uh, Deep Purple podcast because ah. uh, one of the, and and I remember listening to this back in February of a year and a half ago because it's when I went to Tommy Z's calling hours. But the reason why the Deep Purple podcast is part of the family tree is uh, the guitars and vocals, Marlin alias used by Ray Fenwick when he was in Fancy. And Ray Fenwick was part of, I think, episode six and and part of that infrastructure. Ah, yeah. Okay. But, uh, all right. Well, we're on to the next song, which is number 24.
So this is uh, Free Man in Paris by Joni Mitchell. And um, I learned a lot about this song researching it. So this one got to number 22, and it's off her album Court and Spark in 1974. So this, the free man in this song is supposed to be David Geffen. Um, you know, he was in charge of Mitchell's record label. Asylum? And, yeah, and yeah. and the song is uh, about the pressures of the music industry uh, on on their artists. I guess Mitchell and Geffen rose up the ranks together in the, in the late 60s. He was establishing himself as an agent and an important early client was another mighty female songwriter, Laura Nero, who we've uh, talked about before. And uh, so Mitchell and uh, Geffen became good friends and she wrote Free Man in Paris based on what Geffen told her, where Geffen felt most alive and unencumbered when he was in Paris, where nobody could call him up and ask for favors. So you'll be happy to know David Crosby and Graham Nash, who were good friends with Joni Mitchell and also Geffen, sang backup on this track. But uh, more interestingly, Jose Feliciano played guitar on this track. He was working on another project at the studios A&M in Los Angeles when he heard the song coming from Mitchell's studio and he offered to play. He knew Mitchell from the days uh, performing in Canada. A lot of interesting. Well, David Get- yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, a lot of interesting stuff. The only other thing is, uh, do you know uh, Joni Mitchell's real name? No, I don't. Uh, Roberta Joan Anderson. Yeah. It's a nice song. Yeah. She was on our uh, countdown uh, from 11 calendar weeks ago with episode number nine with Help Me. take to get to the music <laughs> music uh, if that's music you know what my father would say the same oh. thing that the father says in this it's <laughs> that drew so this is a earache in my eye featuring alice bowie and this is uh, by Cheech and Chong off of uh, Cheech and Chong's wedding album in 1974. And uh, so Casey had talked about how Cheech and Chong had scored three times with single hits. They had Sister Mary Elephant and Basketball Jones. Class, <laughs> class, class. And, and now this one. And uh, a personal note, when I first heard of these guys back in the 70s, I thought they were called Cheech Ching Chong. <laughs> Made more sense to me. But anyway, this one got to number nine and uh, it was their only top 10 hit. And they, they say it's featuring Alice Bowie. That's merely a character created by Cheech Marin. It's an amalgam of Alice Cooper and David Bowie. <laughs> This is often cited as one of the most popular novelty songs of all time. Became a mainstay on the Dr. Demento program. The song owes a lot of its popularity to sounding awesome, yet also being such a dead-on parody of 
rock in the 1970s. The lyric, I only know three chords, sums up a lot of rock music. And uh, there's the line, the world's coming to an end, I don't even care, which echoes the sen sentiment in the 70s. So, and then they talk about, as long as I have a limo and I, my orange hair, and they're referring to David Bowie as Ziggy Stardust, who was had the orange hair at this time. <laughs> That's a lot of research. It is. Uh, well, it's funny. I had forgotten about this song. Well, I remember <laughs> Basketball Jones. Yeah. And, and I, I, I do re remember this and, and the other one. Uh, class. Sister Mary. Class. Yeah. Class. You can go find that on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh this is number two two. Yeah, so he just said it, Rub It In by Billy Crash Craddock. His real name is Billy Wayne Craddock. So this is a song uh, written and uh, written. folks didn't call him Crash. <laughs> yeah. You know, my my cousin's husband is known as Crash. Uh. All right. And and my cousin, she actually calls him Crash. Huh. I call him David uh. or Dave because I, I just, I don't know him from Crash. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I got a cousin that we, we called Butchie and it's like, Everyone still called him Butchie, but his wife was like, no, he's James. And it's like, <laughs> I remember he called me on the phone once and, and he was like, it's it's your cousin James. And, and then there was a pause and he goes, Butchie. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like my Tati Susie and Uncle Don's son, Stevie. You know, Stevie is a grandfather now. All right. Yeah. And, you know, he's a year younger than I am. We've, called him, we've been calling him Stevie forever, you know, so. Yeah. So anyway, this uh, Rub It In, it's a novelty song originally written and recorded by uh, Lang Martin Jr., credited as uh, Lang Martin. Um, his, his version released on Barnaby Records label was produced by Ray Stevens, and it was a... It has a Ray Stevens kind of vibe. Yeah, it was a chart single in the fall of 1971, reaching number 65, but uh, this version did a lot better. When you saw the title of this, did you do what I did? Or yes, I thought it was that other <laughs> crappy band that I really don't care for. Number 26. Yeah. And I was like, Roberta Flack did a version of that. <laughs> and then listening to it, no. So this is uh, Feel Like Making Love by Roberta Flack off her album, Feel Like Making Love in uh, 1975. And Casey said that uh, the uh, she was the only female artist in chart history to have number one hits as a solo artist in three consecutive years. Casey said that 
Patty Page, Helen Reddy, and Cher had done two years in a row at this point, but Roberta was the only one to do three. But Babs hadn't done it? No. Nah, I guess not at this point, anyway. This saw the huge. Yeah. yeah, the first hit was First Time Ever I Saw Your Face in 1972, and then Killing Me Softly in 1973. I think we've done both those songs. Yeah. I like this song better than those two songs. Yeah. So this song was composed by singer-songwriter Eugene McDaniels and recorded originally by the soul singer-songwriter Roberta Flack. And, Roberta uh, Flack! Yep, and this, the song <laughs> was... Say that. Say yeah. that again. <laughs> Roberta Flack. <laughs> Should that be my normal voice? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> So the song has been covered by several R&B and jazz artists. Uh, Flack produced the record under a pseudonym, Rubina Flake. <laughs> I guess there's a story behind that. <laughs> This band showed up a lot on the chart. They had that number one song um, in some chart. And I, I don't remember this one, but I remember the other one. Which yeah. I right now. Yeah, so. Well, now I remember it. Okay. Now I remember it. Yeah. Yeah, so this is uh, Let's Put It All Together by The Stylistics off the uh, album Let's Put It All Together. This was their fourth studio album. Uh, this was the group's first album recorded outside of Philadelphia. They had 12 consecutive R&B top 10 hits, including Stop, Look, Listen, You Are Everything, Betcha by Golly Wow. That, that was one of them. Yeah. Yep. I'm Stone in Love with You, Break Up to Make Up, and that You one. Make Me Feel Brand New. That one is huge. And that one went to uh, number two in 1974 as well. Huh? This song got to number 18, and it was... Uh, the stylistics last top 40 hit. We're counting down the most popular songs in the country from Kodiak to Kokomo, from Hartford to Honolulu. So this is Who Do You Think You Are by O Donaldson and the Haywoods. And so I got confused again because, uh, you know, this shouldn't be confused with the 1973 Purple album, Who Do You Think We Are? <laughs> this was uh, written by a British songwriting team, Des Dyer and Clive Scott. It was first recorded by the group Candlewick Green and released in late December of 1973. And the song peaked at number 21 in the United Kingdom in February of 74. But uh, Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods covered this one um, in 74 and their version became a hit in both the United States and Canada. It peaked at number 15 on the US pop chart. And uh, of course they're famous or perhaps infamous for their 
number one hit, Billy Don't Be don't a be Hero, a hero. in 1974. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they had one other top 40 hit with The Heartbreak Kid, which went to number 39 in 1974. Think you'll ever hear this on classic rock? Yeah. <laughs> This is an important song. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot about the song, but... Yeah, give, uh, give us the Reader's Digest version. We know that this is a response to Neil Young talking about Southern Man, all right? Yeah, right. Th that's part of it. So, yeah, this is Sweet Home Alabama by... And Kid Rock did this, too, with his little friend. Yeah, yeah. but this original was uh, by Leonard Skinner, and it's off of Second Helping in 1974. It went to number eight. Casey, during the intro, went into the whole thing about how Leonard Skinner was her gym coach and they changed the letters and that. But, but actually, um, one thing I didn't know is they talk about um, the Swampers. They say Muscle Shoals has the Swampers. And that was actually a nickname of the musician. The house that, band. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that recorded it. You didn't know that? Um, I didn't know that, no. But yeah, and the whole thing with Neil Young, I guess it wasn't all that contentious between them two. That it, it, well, it's kind of like actually, Steely Dan and the Eagles. Yeah, it's uh, kind of good-natured fun. They were actually, they actually liked each other. And they said uh, Ronnie Van Zant often wore Neil Young t-shirts on stage, and he's wearing one on the cover of uh, Street Survivors, the last Skinnerd album. You know, I bought it at a used record store, the Street Survivors with the... Actually, it was over here at Integrity Music, huh? which is now closed. And I, I think, you know, a bunch of years ago, I spent 20 bucks on the original LP, where they pulled it back after the crash because it was showing um, all the flames behind them. Uh, a lot of them died in the tragic way. Yeah. So maybe, maybe I'll make another dollar on that if or my survivors will <laughs> when they have to sell all my stuff. <laughs> will it go for more than the spreadsheet about the lawn mowing? <laughs> if you Don't you have a, 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 a mowing spreadsheet? <laughs> no. You're going to hear this one on Classic Rock also. Yeah. Probably right after the previous song. And and I can't get enough after <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's only rock and roll, parentheses, but I like it by the Rolling Stones. And uh, yeah, this one got to number 16, two notches, uh, or one notch higher, excuse me, than it is now. And yeah, it's a basically straightforward celebration of rock and roll. It was actually written by Ron Wood, who had not yet joined the Rolling Stones. Yeah. So he, this uh, is off of Black and Blue, right? Uh, so this is the transition record uh, after uh, Mick Taylor left, and they were getting a whole bunch of folks, and one of them was, didn't they have your, your boy on this record? Who? Rory Gallagher? No, no, but at this time, he uh, they, they kind of auditioned him to see if yeah. he would be the replacement guitarist, yeah. But didn't didn't he appear on this? Because 
of course, Keith Richards is, is on Black and Blue. I think this is off of Black and Blue. And and they had other guitar players play also. Okay. But, yeah. But Ronnie Wood was, I think, on the photograph of, of the cover. If you open it up, you know, Mick is kind of standing, you know, you see his, you know, portrait, you know, what is it, when you silhouette. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I had written down that it, this is off It's Only Rock and Roll. They, oh, you're yeah, right, it is. Yeah. Duh. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking the LPs. next the next yeah. album must be because this is right, like they said, it's right when Ron Wood, um, you know, joined. But but he couldn't have joined because unless Black and Blue was before this. Hang on, let me let me find out. <laughs> okay. Keep, keep on talking. Yeah, I, I have written down that uh, Ron Wood joined the band in 1975. But anyway. Uh, this this song has been covered by the Spice Girls, Emmy Lou Harris, Natalie Imbruglia, the Cranberries, and the Eurythmics. And uh, David Bowie sang background on this one. Black and Blue was after this. Yeah, it's only and, rock and roll was this one, and before this was Goat's Head Soup. Okay, okay. and and, and uh, so Goat's Head Soup had Angie and Do 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 Heartbreaker. All right. It's only rock and roll had this song, and uh, "Ain't Too Proud of Beg" the cover by the Holland Dozier Holland song. Ah, okay. Um, and so the next album was in '75, '76, '76. Okay. All right. But uh, but who was on this record? Okay, so Mick Taylor was on this. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that must be the but last. What's Mick interesting? Taylor. You you're saying this was written by Ron Wood? Yeah. But Wikipedia is telling me all songs written by Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. Oops, I have it backwards, except that Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Oh, which was Norman Whitfield and Eddie Holland. So, yeah. Well, I, I think they said the official songwriting credit went to Mick Jagger and Keith Richards per custom in the band. Mm. But um, well, they got all the. Yeah. yeah. But it was it was Ron Wood was it that actually. Residuals or residuals? What's it? <laughs> residuals. <laughs> residuals. <laughs> Swede or suede? <laughs> you know that was a lot of fumbling around for data that I, I had on the internet. And, and yeah, and also probably you know a whole bunch of Rolling Stones fans were yelling at their podcast machines. Nah, probably none of them listen to this. This is not off of Black and Blue, or it's only <laughs> rock and roll. Yeah, this is uh, Beach Baby by First Class off their album, First Class Slash, the First Class SST. Um, so this one got to number four, and it was the band's only hit, making them a one-hit wonder. But the lead singer, Tony Burroughs, uh, he was a session singer who performed for a number of small bands, including um, Edison Lighthouse's Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes, The Pipkins' Gimme That Thing, and The Brotherhood of Man's United We Stand. Among That's the only one I knew about all those you just talked about. Yeah, so. I thought we had the Gimme That Thing in another Yeah, count. Gimme That, Gimme That, yeah. But uh, Beach Baby sounds like it's uh, a lost Beach Boys hit with the uh, overproduction of blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> mm. 
It's, is that, are those your thoughts or? That was uh, something I cut and pasted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because if, it was, if, if you had an original thought, I'd be like, that's pretty good. Yeah, so, uh, no, but... my original thought would be something about Johnson, I think, or Bud Off Williams, <laughs> but anyway. No, but it, it does, it does, you know, sound like it was uh, the, the Beach Boys. Now the other part of it, I, you know, blood, sweat and tears, I, I did not have in my quiver, so. This is our Greek English friend who's had three names. Yeah. And I did not realize that this was a Sam Cooke song from 10 years before, 12 years before. Yeah. When Casey introduced the song, he played, and I don't I don't have it parsed here to, 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 to do it. Maybe you can stick it in right here. But that is totally different than what what um, Pat Stevens Pat Stevens is doing. It's it's a it's a great song, and and I I don't know what you would call this style of music. It, it, you know, is it is it you know? Do I put my yowza on because it's Greek? Yeah, I mean <laughs> with my bazooka. Yeah, I don't know. So this is yeah another Saturday night by Cat Stevens and. Um, yeah, I agree. He he did his own thing with it. It makes, you know, two good songs, really. Two good versions. Uh, so, yeah, Sam Cooke, his version hit number six on the chart in 1963. And Cooke wrote this when he was touring England in 1962 with Little Richard. You know, he was touring England, you know. And the, the Cat Steven version hit uh, number six in the U.S. And... Except for Morning Has Broken, it's the only Stevens release he did not write himself. Well, Morning Has Open was, that was, that's right out of my hymnal. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And so, Cat uh, or Yusuf is still with us. He's 74. Well, what's and his I... original name? Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. His original name, I, I'm not sure if I can pronounce it. Stephen Dimitri Giorgio, Giorgio, G E O R G I O U. He was also known as Steve Adams. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's pretty generic. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe is, is... I, didn't we work with a Steve Adams? I, <laughs> I think we might have. Yeah. That, that, that's almost like uh, what's his name? Um, Mary had a little lamb. Uh, Paul McCartney checking into hotel rooms as Ramon, as, and so the Ramones took took their names uh, from uh, Paul McCartney with his, his uh, nom, not his nom de plume, his pseudonym. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah that's funny. Yeah, but yeah. this is this is a good song, and I would have never realized, and I didn't realize until Casey talked about it. It was a different song. Yeah, it's like it rang a bell right when he said it. It was like, oh yeah, somebody else did this, totally different. Summer 
So uh, this is another poster boy for '70s music. Yeah, like, like Billy, don't be a hero. Exactly, okay. and yeah. and it's interesting. So, uh, so this is the night Chicago died by Paper Lace, off their album Dynamite. Hello, lucky person. You got the number right, cause you are talking to kid a dynamite. <laughs> In 1974 so this one went to number one amazingly and uh, the writers of the song Mitch Murray and Peter Chandler were British and they had never been to Chicago uh, Chandler was the lyricist and uh, Murray was writing the music they were brought up on American gangster movies which was the inspiration for this song <laughs> They picked the east side of Chicago by default because they thought the term east side usually meant the seedy side of town. But in retrospect, they realized they were talking about New York, not Chicago. <laughs> the song is pure fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. The song's pure fiction. And uh, Paper Lace sent the song to the mayor of Chicago, Richard Daly, who greatly disliked it. And a member of Daly's staff is quoted as saying that Paper Lace should, quote, jump in the Chicago River, placing your heads underwater three times and surfacing only twice. <laughs> Pray tell us, are you nuts? <laughs> so Paper Lace's previous re release was Billy Don't Be a Hero, which was also written by Murray and Chandler, and it topped the UK chart, but they had to watch Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods cover version reach number one in the US. And um, so the night Chicago died gave them a hit on both sides of the Atlantic. But these guys are responsible for two really, really rather, a lot of people think awful, notoriously. Poster but, boys for the 70s. Yeah. 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 So there's another episode of American Top 40 where Casey Kasem actually had the Watermark production folks go do some research. And it was, of course, fake. <laughs> yeah, the song's a poster boy for fake news, I guess. Number two hit on the R&B chart, and uh. Bristol's more famous as a songwriter and record producer for Motown uh, in the late 60s and early 70s. His composition, Love Me For A Reason, saw global success when it was covered by the Osmonds, including a, um, and that one got to number one on the UK charts in 74. Bristol was the producer- Is that on the tape you gave me that's at my desk at work? The Osmonds tape? Uh, I don't know. I, if I go to a plant, right. Well, you said we all have to go back by the third of October. Oh, really? Wow! Uh, for for how many days a week? Minimum of two. Ooh, oh, two days. Two days. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, Bristol was the producer, and your desk is still open, <laughs> and your notes are still there from two and a, from two years ago. <laughs> so you're, I, I can I can have you come back. I know inflation's killing you. Yeah. <laughs> So, <laughs> you know, don't do it. <laughs> now you got me all upset. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so tell me more about Mr. Bristol. Well, he was uh, he was a he producer. He lived in Bristol. And, 
yeah, yeah. He was named after my town. It is his real name. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, he was a producer and co-writer of the final singles for both Diana Ross and the Supremes and Smokey Robinson and the Miracles before each uh, group lost its namesake lead singers. So it was the Miracles, We've Come Too Far to End It Now in 1972, and the Supremes, Someday We'll Be Together in 1969. And um, yeah, so... Uh, I like this song. Yeah, Bristol is a male voice on the Supremes version of Someday We'll Be Together, singing in response to Diana Ross's lead vocal. Oh, okay. And, uh, and Ross actually recorded the song as her initial solo release with the session singers, the Water Sisters, who we talked about, I think, last episode. And um, so Bristol performed this song on the UK TV show Top of the Pops at September 27th of this year. And um, unfortunately, he passed away in March of 2004 at the age of 65. But he had a good voice. I can't stand this song. Yeah. This is Olivia Newton-John. This is I Honestly Love You. And um, yeah. here we are at number number 11 this week. It, uh, seven weeks on the chart. I don't know if it's peaking here or did it go any higher? Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. Excuse me. That was... Uh, no. Five weeks on the chart. It's peaking right now. Did it go any higher at number 12? Yeah. Uh, I don't don't have the peak written down okay. but yeah well it could be later but yeah. she was on our chart uh, nine weeks ago with uh if you love me let me know with with the guy going if you love me yeah and that one was not that one was at number five i think back yeah number five yeah so, i don't know i this is this is i i sap. i hate to say it but yeah this is sorry olivia but i rate this as 77 Ooh, talk about a switch up, huh? <laughs> yeah. But that's the great thing about pop music in the 70s is you can have stuff like the previous song, which is, as you define it, sap, which we still need to uh, diagram that sentence. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, and what that means. And and and, and this, which is, uh, which is off the number one LP of the week, full something something I, I can't read my writing i'll show it to those of you on channel 18 yes and, uh, and i didn't I, I didn't get the country or the soul songs that were number one this week great great song tell me about this yeah so this is you haven't done nothing by stevie wonder off of fulfilling this first finale that's what it was thank you and uh casey said that this is the man who has the new number one album the country replacing Eric Clapton's album. And, and what uh, was Eric Clapton's record? Uh, I'll find that. Yeah. <laughs> I had to scroll down to get it. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, song written and produced by Stevie Wonder. Um, I didn't recognize it from the title, but I immediately remembered it when I heard it. And uh, so in the chorus he sings, he says, Jackson 5, join along with me and say, do do wop, hey hey, what he's singing now, and it is the Jackson Five backing. 
Oh, well. Were they all in Motown then? Or, well, it was Tamla. He was on Tamla. Mm. Yeah. So the, the uh, it was 461 Ocean Boulevard. <laughs> that was the Eric Clapton LP. Yeah. So, so this song is uh, apparently an, an angry, acidic attack on U.S. President Richard Nixon who two weeks after the album um, was released resigned over the Watergate scandal. Suck it to me? It's and, all okay. Jerry yeah. Ford uh, pardoned him. <laughs> yeah. But this album won the 1974 Grammy for Album of the Year. Stevie Wonder had also won the previous year for Inner Visions. And Great record. Again in 77 with songs in the key of life. And um, I remember I talked about this a little bit, but at a concert in uh, London in um, July 6, 2019, Stevie Wonder announced that he would be undergoing a kidney transplant in September. I haven't heard anything. I hope he's doing okay. Um, he's, yeah. he's 72 years old. On number 10. Just another Wolfman song. Did we talk about Wolfman Jack? We did talk about him, I think. Because he, he was in another song, right? Because uh, I told you how my sister met Wolfman Jack. Yeah. In Elmira, yeah. El, Elmira or something. Mm. What's the other What's the other Wolfman Jack song? Because this is the Guess Who doing Clap for the Wolfman. Yeah. And... Um, so how do you how do you kill a, a wolf man? I know with a silver bullets, right? No, no, silver isn't silver bullets because we have to watch. You know, we should have a watching party of of Love It Last Bite or whatever that. Well, movie yeah, was. yeah. We should do. We should have a a, a party at your at, at your patio, man. <laughs> because they're, they're, it's a stake through the heart, right? For yeah. Dracula, right? Yeah, yeah. So garlic. In the in the actual trailer that I had, they they showed. I him, watched it. Yeah, yeah. He's shooting with the silver bullets, and they don't do it because right. he's not the Wolfman. He's Dracula. Okay, all right. So yeah. I didn't get the joke. Yeah, yeah. That's, that was the joke. And then he held up the Star of David, and it didn't do anything it's, to the. <laughs> that looks like a. I haven't seen it in a long time. It, it you actually saw that movie. Oh yeah, yeah, years ago, yeah. Because I remember, the, you know, that it was out, you know, forty-three years ago or whatever. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is "Clap for the Wolfman" by uh, these guys. <laughs> the guess who? Yeah. And uh, you have anything else on it? Well, what's just funny is uh, Randy Bachman introduced this episode on SiriusXM. Oh, that's right. But yeah. it's funny because a few years before he had left the band by leaving a trail of insults in his wake. Yeah, about the other band members. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Wolfman Jack, unfortunately, he passed away in 1995 at the age of 57. But this was a tribute to him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah yikes, right? Really close. Like, yeah. yeah now. Like, yeah. <laughs> for both of us until... But close to being older than that. No. <laughs> Clap it up. Praise him. Okay, so uh, 
Yeah, she just said the title, You and Me Against the Worlds by Helen Reddy, off her album Love Song for Jeffrey in 1974. It's funny, Casey talked about how uh, Helen Reddy, at the time, she was only taking a $100 allowance from her, uh, you know, record sales and et cetera, and uh, still banking some of that because she was always a penny pincher. And that's what I wanted to look up before the show. So that's about $600 today. <laughs> yeah, but her husband was a coke fiend that, at the time and took all her money and put it up his nose, right? Yeah, in that's fact. I read about her. Yeah, in fact, uh, her husband, one of her husbands reportedly had an eight-year $100,000 a year cocaine. Yeah. And I think it's the second husband because yeah. the first husband was the father for the eight year old little girl that says, Tell me about it, mommy. Yeah. Because right? right. Casey talked, said, I think said something about that. Yeah. So yeah. Helen Reddy must have been married, what, three, four times? I think I it know. was four. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, this one peaked right here at number nine. It's the song of uh, from the perspective of a single mother telling her child that uh, whatever life throws at them, they'll. they'll but the uh, most important thing about the song, I don't give a crap about that. It's written by Paul Williams. Right, right. The, <laughs> the, the great, 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 great grand cousin of Paul Williams. Williams. <laughs> right. And Paul Williams wrote great songs, you know, Evergreen and all this other kind of stuff. And, and, he does still look like Cousin Oliver. Yeah. So actually, um, this was written by Paul Williams and Kenny Asher, and they, they wrote the, uh, the score for the movie A Star is Born and also the song Rainbow Connection for the Muppet movie. Mm -hmm. Helen Reddy's 10-year-old daughter, Tracy, speaking in the beginning. So this is uh, Then Came You by Dionne Warwick and the Spinners. So you and I have a connection with Dionne Warwick, don't we? Absolutely. She went to our alma mater. Yeah. Yeah. I saw her at the big giant Coliseum. After a uh, Division One basketball game uh, back in the day, 35 years ago or so. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, the Spinners got together with Dionne Warwick for this upbeat song about love being fresh and exciting. And uh, Dionne Warwick first joined forces with the Spinners in the summer of 73 when they toured together for seven weeks. And uh, the Spinners were produced by Tom Bell, who came up with the idea for pairing them up with uh, Dion for this song. The last week of the tour was run in Las Vegas, which was where Dion Warwick, that was her stronghold at this time. And Is that where the psychic hotline face was? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, Bell came to the last show and afterward he told them uh, he had a song for the, the spinners in uh, to record. and. She wasn't impressed, 
but uh, he eventually got on board with the idea and uh, yeah it, it, it cut to number one this song in October and it, I, it's a great song I, I, I really like this one um, yeah and, and Dionne Warwick I think she kind of gets lost in with all these D visits that come around I think she's great with all the stuff she did back in the 60s with Hal David and, and Burt Bacharach and then of course she was part of the uh not they do they know it's Christmas. So what, what's that? What was that? Oh, um, yeah, yeah. What was that that's thing what called? friends are for. Yeah, that's what friends are for. And and she's she's wonderful. I, I think she got tainted a little bit with the psychic hotline and stuff. But, you know, she's got to eat, too. So, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, huge artists, but two, yeah. two really good artists. Yeah. So this is uh, Tell Me Something Good by Rufus. And it doesn't say Rufus featuring Shaka Khan, but this is Shaka Khan singing. And uh, did you did you hear the part where Pasty talked about how Rufus got their name? Wow. It, apparently, there was a column called Ask Rufus in Mechanics Illustrated Magazine. And they just said, oh, we'll use that as our name. And then it eventually got shortened to just Rufus. But they were originally called Ask Rufus. Really? Yeah. Did the Mechanics uh, Magazine be like, you know, Pacific Gas and Electric and, the, <laughs> you know, the, the Chicago Transit Authority or the city of Boston? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but off Williams House? Um, no. <laughs> Anyway, uh, if so, we ever learn how to play instruments, we should call ourselves Butt Off Williams. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do sort of, you know, I, I'm a little bit of a I have played instruments in my past. Yeah, so I, I understand music a little bit. I was thinking of taking up the vibra slap, Tom, um, but vibra slap and the juice harp, you can do those too. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, this one went to number four and uh. Yeah, Stevie Wonder wrote this song and he recorded it in, oh, wow. in, in December of uh, 1973. He copyrighted it on January 3rd, 1974, but his version was never released because he gave the song to Rufus. Uh, Stevie was a fan of uh, Shaka Khan, so that's why he Chaka gave it Khan. to him. Yeah. Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan. Uh, I've been trying to get Rufus into the Rock and Hall of Fame for, you know, years and they should because they're they're funk. They're on the radio. I think they're important to. Uh, but then again, you know, it's, it, the people that run the hall, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and the Eagles. Yeah. Like so Shaka Khan, that is not her real name. Her name is Yvette Marie Stevens, and a lot of people think uh, she was given the name because she was involved with the Black Panthers for a while, but she's made it clear her name was actually Shaka Adun Aduft Hadari Karifi and was given to her at age 13 by a 
Yoruba Babalawo, which means father of mysteries in the West African Yarabu language. So, <laughs> Wowee. So now you know how she got her name. That was that was a mouthful. You did it a good was. job. So, Nothing From Nothing um, by Billy Preston, our, our good friend Billy Preston, off his album Kids and Me in 1974. This one got to number one. We, we've talked about Billy Preston before, his involvement with uh, the Beatles in the 60s. and the uh, Stones. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he started writing... All-Star Band. Yeah. He started writing this one uh, one night in his dressing room after uh, he was at an Atlanta nightclub. And uh, he said he just thought of a thing. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. And he thought, oh, I'll, I'll write a song about that. And uh, he said the saloon piano gave it a character that he thought would be a hit. And, and he was right. And uh, so uh, this apparently, and I think I remember this, it was used in a Fidelity Investments commercial, but I couldn't find a copy. Otherwise, we would add a sponsor this week. <laughs> and uh, so unfortunately, Billy passed away in 2006 at the age of 59. Ooh. Yikes. Too close. <laughs> yeah. I've heard people say that too much of anything is not good for you, baby. But I don't know about that. This is another guy that died young. We love. Yeah. We like also. Yeah. When when you talked about blue suede, oh, oops. Blue Swede, because because <laughs> on on the Ellen McBeal show, they did that Uka Chaka Chaka song. Have you ever watched the that that TV show? Yeah, because this song was used on that as well. Well, right? they but they also had they actually went to a bar or to a club, okay, and that guy Peter McNichol and Ally McBeal, whatever I forget her name, or uh-huh. her real name, Calista um, Flockhart. Yeah, Calista Flockhart. Um, they would go and. and Barry White would be playing the piano there, being you know like the house, uh, ah. uh, you know piano yeah. guy. You remember that? I mean, the show was on. What, yeah, yeah, years I, ago? yeah. I, I I watched some of them back then, but I don't remember it too much. Yeah. So yeah, this yeah. is "Can't Get Enough of Your Love, Babe" by Barry White off this "Can't Get Enough" album. It was on the top of the soul chart this week, and it would get to number one on the pop chart. And it was written, recorded, and produced by Barry White, which was the case of uh, with most of his songs. And it's one of his two hit singles, the other being You're the First, The Last, My Everything. Everything. Yeah. Well, and, I went out and bought, and I might have bought it on the Amazon. I probably can look at my uh, database where all my... Uh, Amazon orders. I think I bought this Barry White's Greatest Hits because of hearing it on the Alan McBeal show. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it was also the song was used um, on a few episodes of The Simpsons, and Barry White was a big fan of The Simpsons, and he recorded uh, a new version of this song specifically made for 
the whacking day episode of the show. Oh, I, re- I remember the whacking day where they all had their sticks. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, I forget the premise, but I kind of remember it. Great, great song, great artist, you know. Yeah. He passed how, away. How old was he? He was 58. Yikes. Ah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is an awful countdown for us. <laughs> Terrible. Well, we, I don't think we've lived the rock and roll lifestyles uh, or the top 40 lifestyles or whatever it is. And of course, Donnie Marie, they're, they're of the uh, Latter-day Saints, uh, Mormon, and they stay away from tobacco and caffeine and liquor and drugs. They're going to live forever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I bet Donnie, Donnie still looks like he's 20. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is, uh, I'm leaving it all, parentheses, all, excuse me, up to you. <laughs> and uh, so this was the title track off the uh, debut album of uh, Donnie and Marie Osmond as a, you know, as a duo. And it was originally uh, performed by Don Harris and Dewey Terry in 1957. Not Rolf Harris, who did Two Buffaloes. Nah. Remember Rolf Harris? Two Buffaloes, Two Buffaloes, Buffaloes. That was a Bob Steele song. Ah, uh, yeah. Sounds Remember familiar. the Two Buffaloes song? Yeah. That's a great song. I love it. You know, he's from Australia. Ah. You know. uh. <laughs> okay. Tell me more about So, anyway, uh, the duo of Dale and Grace popularized this song in 1963, and they took it to number one on the pop chart. Um, this one went to number five, number one on the adult contemporary. Well, and I, it's number four here. How could how could it go to number oh, five? Oh, okay. It, it must have went one higher. <laughs> <laughs> it must be a fake chart. Um, so, so, anyway, a little personal thing about this uh my wife Gail and I had a running joke about this song when we had some decision that neither one of us wanted to commit to. Well, we would just sing, I'm going to leave it all up to you. <laughs> that's, that's a great way to make decisions. Yeah. If I remember from a previous countdown, this gentleman's from Canada. Yeah. And this gentleman also has first two names. Yeah. So this is uh, Andy Kim, and uh, this is Rock Me Gently. And he was a veteran songwriter. He, he wor- worked out of the famous Brill Building, and um, he worked on several hits, including Sugar Sugar by the Archies. And uh, he's known for a couple of hits he released in the late 60s uh, and uh, early 70s. The international hit Baby I Love You in 1969, and of course, uh, Rock Me Gently right here. Um, he hadn't had a song in the hot not, not the Not the Baby I Love Your Way by Peter Frampton. No, 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 no. Should I play it? No. <laughs> okay, I won't. Because <laughs> then you have to play the other thing. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, he's, he's quite prolific. 
Yeah. And it's great that he was able to get out there because this is a nice song. Yeah. So this was used in a TV commercial for the Jeep Liberty um, that featured a squirrel, birds, and a wolf singing along with the song. Not Wolfman Jack, but they were all sitting in a Jeep. And um, I'll put a link in the show notes. It doesn't have anything. It was just the song, so it wouldn't it wouldn't fit as a sponsor this week. But, uh, so, um, did I ever tell you about Merle the Squirrel and Brian? Mm-hmm. So it's about 1984. We're out in Western New York for Thanksgiving, and <clears throat> and my cousin was living out there then, and so I was there with my sister, my other sister, and my sister's boyfriend. All right, and we went to the hillside uh, bar the Friday or Saturday after Thanksgiving down the road from my grandparents. Where we went to the wedding uh, uh, two weekends ago, and the bars out in Western New York close at midnight. All right, and the lady running the bar, this is called the Hillside, kept on giving us drinks because she didn't want to be left alone with these two guys, Merle the Squirrel and Brian. And we and we get home at four in the morning when the bars close out there. And it's not like two o'clock where we live, and my grandfather was still awake. All right, he's like. And, and my cousin was also with us. We had to sing at church the next day. And I'm going home. No, you're not going home. I thought the bars closed at midnight. It was <laughs> it was great, all right? And God bless my grandfather. God bless Phil and my sisters. And it, it's epic. We'll talk about it maybe on a Thanksgiving uh, while we're done doing the 80s. Yeah. Roll the squirrel and Brian. <laughs> And we were drinking Old Vienna, <laughs> which is a Canadian beer that was brewed by O'Keefe. And it was OV splits that came in these seven ounce bottles. Remember, you used, you used to be able to get the, the like the Miller yeah. seven ounce bottle or the, and <laughs> before, before the state um, changed the election laws and stuff, there was a company here in town that used to have. This is before the governor, you know, had renovations done at his place next to our friend Steve up at Bantam Lake. Um, and, and I can remember going to this party and I'm, I'm not a lobbyist or anything. I'm just part of the, of the party and all the people used to be there. You know, that's how it used to be, but it's still probably happening someplace. But they would have Miller Light in these seven ounce bottles. Oh my God. You don't remember that? <laughs> no, I remember the Miller Lights and the Seven Ounces. Yeah, I'm yeah. just kind of laughing at that's what they had. Like, because how many did you have to down to have anything happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is uh, Paul Anka, who we talked about before, with Odaya Coates. And she was she and him were on our countdown two, three weeks ago. I forget. But yeah. um, this, this song is the one, two, three, fourth song that has baby at the end of the title. There was Do It Baby, Beach Baby, Hang On There Baby, You're Having My Baby. Ah, wow. Hence the title of this week's episode. Yeah. <laughs> so should I start it over? Because I probably took all the air out of everything. Yeah, yeah, well, there's a little bit to say about this. It's a all little... right, you ready? Yeah. And a one, and a two, and a three. So, uh, yeah, so this one got to number one, and um, 
you know, Paul Anka had four daughters when he recorded this song in 1974, and he wrote it about the joys of fatherhood and his appreciation for his wife, uh, Anne Zunghev. I can't pronounce that, but uh, she was a former fashion model. But anyway, the song came off to the public as a bit patronizing. Odaya Kotsu gave the subject of the song a, a, a female voice. The National Organization of Women, they took him to task on this song. Well, like, and they, they, they gave him you know, a lot of heat about, you know, quote unquote, keeping her in her place. Uh, I, I guess they, they gave an award for that, <laughs> keeping her in, a, in her place. But Anka insisted the song was an affectionate tribute to childbirth and the song's popularity bore this out. But this was a big comeback for uh, Paul Anka. He hadn't had a hit in quite a while at this point. So he just said it a couple times. This is I Shot the Sheriff by Eric Clapton. And this was originally written and recorded by Bob Marley in 1973 with his band, The Whalers. And uh, when Clapton heard a member of his band uh, playing the album for him, he decided he wanted to record it. and. Uh, but uh, he didn't use it uh, originally on his album because it thought uh, he thought it'd be disrespectful to Bob Marley. But uh, Marley said, uh, I guess they talked, and he said, no, nah, nah, it's fine. And uh, Clapton kept the uh, underlying reggae beat from Marley's original, but he made it kind of a, more of a rock song. The, the organ and guitar are pretty prominent. So I think we talked about this before too. The female backing singer on the track is Yvonne Elliman. Yeah. Yep. And uh, now in a 2001 documentary, The Life of Bob Marley, Esther Anderson, who was Marley's girlfriend, claimed she helped him write this song. And then it's about birth control, which I don't get. But if it is, it's kind of funny that this song came after you're having my You're baby, my baby. <laughs> <laughs> and also you know the, that now was kind of ticked off at the previous song as well <laughs> wow that's that's bizarre yeah but marley claimed it's a he said it's, it's a true story but he never elaborated on the details so. yeah. and he died young yeah. we're way beyond him right now yeah <laughs> yeah i Back in the day when this was on the radio, I did not understand why it was on the radio and why it, I should I should want to listen to it because I didn't think it was very good when I was nine years old. Uh-huh. And uh, and then of course, <clears throat> everyone bought Legend by Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. All right, I had the vinyl copy, and I over here on the side, I I, I was just looking for my <clears throat> my CD version of it, and everyone has it, and 
I know that our friend Nate was talking about how he went to Jamaica and all they did was play Legend on an endless, you know, loop the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And you know, Bob Marley's very, very important um, to the culture. And and it's great that he probably made a, a nice dime because Eric Clapton made it a hit. But yeah. I don't know why it was a hit. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it sort of sticks out, right, in this yeah. countdown. Um, kind of weird, but I... I I kind of like it, and I kind of like uh, Bob Marley's version, too, frankly. So I went out and bought Crossroads. Remember when that came out in the late 80s? It was mm -hmm. right about the time that Eric Clapton was doing uh, uh, Michelob Light commercials and After Midnight would slow down and everything else. Mm -hmm. and I probably listened to that record once. I probably spent 20 bucks or $25 on, a, on that six-record thing wow. and this is on it um it was right it, it's right when box sets started getting big you know I, th I think the big one the first big one might have been bruce springsteen's uh, you know 74 to 84 and um i saw eric clapton i mean we might have talked about this in another episode i, I probably saw him in the late 80s it was so boring yeah but well, I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, are you, are you not really a you know blues rock fan type of guy or uh, you know, I, I mean I don't know. I I, I think back in the day, right around that time, Eric Clapton got too big for his britches. Yeah, yeah. And I think I, he, I think he came back to earth, and 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 I look at the bookends around that time. But I do like stuff from Journeyman. Yeah, right. it, which is a really I think I have it here. I think it was from my wife's collection. All right. Here it is right here. You're a knee man. All right. And so I'm showing it to those of you watching on Channel 18. And so this has, you know, bad love, which I think is great. And um, no alibis. And uh, it's a good record, but it's it, it was done by song. What do you call those people? Song doctors and stuff like that yeah and here he is here he is wearing his his uh miami vice clothes mm -hmm. you see that yeah 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 right. yeah <laughs> that's the style yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah I, I i so i got mixed feelings about eric clapton in this I, so i don't know yeah i i actually am too even though i'm i am a blues rock fan i i think though it's like you hear too much of him and not not much of others that were just as talented of course but, uh, but cream is important the cream and is Derek and dominoes is important and i think eric clapton stuff is important yeah. i just heard the core i love the core yeah okay yeah. off of that record with yvonne element yeah. i think singing yeah. the background uh, yeah uh, with the one that with a and i never liked that cocaine song because i thought it was just like yeah doing saying yeah you, you know who eric clapton credits uh getting him back into the blues Rory Gallagher. Yep. <laughs> that was it. That was the number one song, which is a weird number one song by Eric Clapton. It's bizarre. The number one label this week was MGM with three songs in the, t in the top 40. So what is your agonizer that would get the other guy all angry? Your agonizer, please. No, Mr. Slug! So this was an easy pick for me this week. You know, maybe I cheated because it was on a previous episode and also... <laughs> how you reacted and the general rant number 37 sideshow can't believe you chose that 
sure you love the beginning the best. <laughs> but but don't you know what I mean with TV shows, with boxing? Like I said in the beginning, circuses. in the beginning, you know, I never really thought about it. But then as happenstance, you know, that episode of Mannix, and it's like, damn it, the Gardo is right. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was thinking, I was watching the Mannix and I was thinking about the Charlie's Angels one. And I'm like, this is the same thing. They got the knife thrower. They get, you know, who's the bad guy? And, and oh, it's it's full of all these seedy people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully I get this right. All right, here's your agonizer. Yeah, good choice. <laughs> so, so hopefully I'm agonizing you with this. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I uh, that you know that trope in the '70s where they they use kids in the songs. I just don't yeah. like, and and this is just um, I yeah, yeah. Well, right next to it is my best song in the countdown. At number eight, then came to you by Dion and the Spinners. Guess so I think this is this is the number one best song of the countdown. Guess what? You and me are in total agreement. Holy moly! Yeah, yeah. This is a great freaking song. I mean. The spinners are great. She adds a lot to it. Um, I had a couple runners up. Um, who did I have? Sideshow. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, I the Stevie Wonder number eleven. You haven't done nothing. You're you're right. Yeah. That's yeah. a really good song. Also, I I don't know how you feel about this, but I kind of think Free Man in Paris is a really good song too. Really, yeah, really that. Which one was that? That's number twenty-four. Oh, by Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, wow. Know, maybe this is why we were friends in college, and, and we were friends at work, and we're doing this stupid thing because it's yeah, we, a lot of fun. <laughs> well, also, we got brought together psychically by Ian Warwick. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's 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 funny. So, here's my worst song of the countdown. Beside me on the sand. Two, two. Put some lotion in your this is just a stupid, icky, gross yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I didn't I didn't like this one either. Do it, do right, it. I'm gonna turn it off because I don't want to be grossed out. Yeah, there. That could have easily been mine too, but um, I. I went with uh, number two. You're having my baby, and I think I think I was just biased by it because I think you know my sister was ten years older than me, and I remember just being like absolutely hating this song <laughs> back then. So yeah. It's kind of gross too. Yeah, it's not as gross as the other one. No, uh, I also, you know, the night Chicago died, 
also just because of the you know the fake news aspect yeah. <laughs> fake news didn't exist then but it certainly does now yeah my guilty pleasure is number five i've heard people say that and this could have been a best you know guilty pleasure and best they kind of go back and forth but yeah this is great yeah that like last week my uh my guilty pleasure could have been a best too so uh as i'm fumbling around with the uh audio file which one is your uh guilty pleasure yeah i again you you might not like this but when i heard it it kind of made me spot smile it was uh number 23 earache my eye and and just because i i had forgotten about it and and not so much the talking but i think when just that riff kind of cracks me up <laughs> yeah all right but a guilty pleasure in my mind we maybe we have to define these things it's something you want to hear you know a couple times a day uh yeah I, I, i'd only it, want to hear this like once a year I, I i would agree with that statement yeah but i i understand if you're listening to dr Demeno and you're like you know because i you know when this came up and i was you know previewing this and parsing this i said oh that's that's kind of funny yeah, yeah. But but this is if, this is a once a year, once every five year. You know. Yeah, no, no, agreed. Yeah. yeah. Well, that being said, just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. This is my. <laughs> story song of the week which is fake news fake story <laughs> fake 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 guess what <laughs> mine too <laughs> but you know what it, it could have been is uh uh there was an earlier one i forget what it was but there and you well you almost gave it away where it's a you didn't use the word story when you're talking about this with richard daly okay oh yeah yeah yeah, the, you know, again, we said this category, it doesn't have to be a good song. It just has to have the best narrative, I guess. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to look where I had the other one. Oh, maybe Please Come to Boston was another one. But, yeah, yeah. All right. So my, my, and I'm not going to, oh, crap. Yeah, sure, I'll do it. I'll, I'll go, I'll go back up here. So my divergent songs. This is called Do It Baby. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not gonna go to the other one because we just heard it. It's divergent with number two, having my baby <laughs> after doing it. Baby. Okay. okay. <laughs> so is, I, I can't believe I touched that. It's yeah. a third rail for me. Yeah. <laughs> so this is funny this week, right? Because, you know, <laughs> you praised me a couple weeks or said I had too much time on my hands where I came up with, like, something really intellectual or whatever. But so my divergent songs, I took a cue from you. And that's uh, so number 39, Jazz Man. Here she goes. 
It's a nice song. Yeah, yeah. So she's praising the jazz man, and and that's uh, you know that's great, great song. And then I said, well, what the heck? Number ten, clap for the Wolfman. <laughs> so it's praising a different kind of man altogether. <laughs> oh, I did it wrong again. I stink. Oh my god! Stop! Stop! Number ten. Oh. <laughs> there it goes. Wow, that was. I'm fumbling with it. <laughs> that was hilarious. My eyes are watering. Because <laughs> it had to be that song, too. The agonizer. No, Mr. Spock! Oh, <laughs> uh, brother. So the Jasmine and the Wolfman. I, I, I like it. All right, and mine was a little ickier. So, yeah. uh, but anyhow, so as we're wrapping up this week of uh, September 14th, 1974, when, you know, school's just starting, we got a tough skins. So uh, how, how would you rate this countdown? Because I have, uh, I've got mixed feelings about this one. And, and, and I, I do too. And, and so I have B. All right, now there's three levels of B, and I haven't filled in the minus or the plus, and I think I'm going to leave it right there at a B, and I think I could lead to a B minus, but I think I like this. It's solid B. Yeah, yeah. So, so what's interesting is um, I had. In my scientific calculations: 18 good songs, 15 neutrals, six bads, and one sap. And but I—it's funny. Early in this countdown, one of the things that was bothering me is it seemed like there was a lot of country in it. But then uh-huh. it, it kind of flipped, and there was some really good stuff near the end. So I would have been leaning towards like a B minus, but I, I I take the minus away with with some of the good stuff that was in there. So same thing, solid B. All right, so we're gonna wrap it up. Yeah. With uh, with a good song, uh, and it's not blue suede. No, you said blue suede. This is a little trust maker, which is a nice song, but you know you can you can throw it out how you want to, and uh, um, so as uh, as we wrap it up, did we miss anything? I don't know if we missed uh, anything. I don't think so. So uh, as uh, Casey would say, keep moving through the turnstile and hold on to your ticket stops, and keep your podcast machine tuned right where it is.